to do that this morning and talk about the fallen angels or what we would think of as demons or devils, depending on how it's translated. So just this little discussion on really the supernatural realm, looking at looking at the other created beings that are unseen to us. I got to ask this as we start. Angels, demons, they, it seems as if it's a topic that, that is in and out of fashion as far as talking about it a lot. And so I don't find that it's a big discussion among Christians today. I mean, angels, you always hear about them at, at um, Christmas time and maybe the demons whenever you come to a passage in the Gospels. But I don't think it's often talked about as a major theme. Any thoughts on why that is? I mean, obviously, if you're talking, if you're witnessing to your friend, you probably, and you're sharing the gospel with them, you probably don't open up with a discussion of demons, right? That's probably not something. Um, maybe it is. Why, why, any thoughts on why it's not so often talked about? Well, you could go either, either way. We're on the demonic today. Adam? It seems weird and uncomfortable, maybe. All right. I think there's, I, I, why? Why? It doesn't, oh, there you go, because it doesn't. Okay. Well, a misconception. Okay, that's a good point right there. Maybe, maybe let's hold that one. What did you say for a minute? Because you were, you were kind of pushing back at what Adam said, Micah. What was that? I was saying, couldn't the same be said of God? That it's just this supernatural being, right? Like, obscure. I, don't I think. What? What? It was Thomas Jefferson that removed all of the supernatural elements from his Bible to make it more. That is true. So Thomas Jefferson has a version of the Bible, or he had a version of the Bible, and he took out all the supernatural stuff, all the miraculous. But he did leave, though, but to go back to what you were saying, Micah, he did leave a, a belief in God. So I think people have an easier time believing in a benevolent creator than they do with that there would be these forces around us. Any, um, and, any other thoughts? Do some people had some other comments on that? Yeah, we know a lot more about God than we do about it. It's easier to believe in God than we know a lot about versus when it talks about Yeah. I'd say we, we know that the first Bible talks about good and bad angels. And uh, I think most people want to think of angels as, as whatever. Right. Yeah, there are bad there there angels. Right, there is, there is that. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, Frank. Yeah, and I think that goes to what Jim was saying. There's a big misconception about angels and demons. Um, yeah, and, and it's a lot of it's been caric caricaturized. Like the uh, most of you probably, this is a little before my time, but I saw the reruns, the old cartoons where you're trying to make the the person's trying to make the right decision, and on this shoulder is the angel, and on this shoulder is the devil. So that. You know something, though? There's a little bit more theology there than 
maybe realized as far as the influence of the spirit realm on, on you and I. Any other thoughts on that? Why it's maybe not? Yes. Scary. Who wants, who wants the bad? I want the good. Yeah. Right. Don't come to me and start talking about demons. Right. So let's say somebody came to you and said to you, in a minute we're going to look at the biblical framework, but you know something that I've learned about trying to share truth with people before people are able to believe something, they usually first have to want to believe it. Does that make sense? In other words, before, like the gospel, for instance, before somebody is going to even investigate whether or not this is true, there has to be some desire for them to say, you know what, let me look into that because, yeah, I, I would like to, if that's true, that's wonderful. So let me find out if it's true. So. If you were talking with somebody and they said to you, they said, you really believe that there are demons? You really believe there are these angels and demons, these, these in, in, invisible things, beings out there? How would you open that conversation? How would you, and again, I know this isn't like a, a leading evangelistic tool necessarily for us, but if somebody's just asking you about what you believe and they confront you with that, how would you engage them? What would you make? What could you say to them to to start to get their mind thinking that you know you really ought to look at what the Bible says about this? Why should, apart from what the Bible reveals to us, just from our natural experience in the world, and that's the wonderful thing about the Bible is the Bible substantiates what we experience in the natural world. The Bible gives the explanation for the reality that we experience. So why should people be more willing to engage in this kind of study? Even, even unbelievers, why should they be more willing to consider the reality of, yes, sir? Well, I think just like heaven, there's another, there's more than just this world. Right. You know, so whether it's demonic or angelic, there's more than what's here. Mm -hmm. We know that. Right. So why, you know, and in all reality, we know there's heaven and hell. Right. So there is brimstone and fire and there's angelic beings. So... I mean, the fact that people tend to believe that there's a heaven and hell. Whether they make a joke about hell or whatever it might be, right. it's still a, a preconceived notion in their heart that they know that it's there. Yeah. You know, so I mean, what's the difference about talking about the realms of hell if you're not a saved person? Right. As opposed to talking about demons and angels. So there is, there is something in there that... That's true. And, and I would say for a, a chunk of the people, you're right. There's a, they, they have that presupposition that there is a heaven and a hell. So if you're going to believe in a heaven and a hell, of course, then there's a whole realm that goes with that. Some are not so convinced, though, in, uh, in, in that. Some don't come with that presupposition. So what other evidences would there be? What other evidences could we point them to? Frank? Uh, there's, obviously, there's uh, evil and good in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I'd like to expound on that a little bit more because I think you're absolutely right. I think just pointing people to the presence of great evil in the world, right? I mean, that, that, that there is a great evil in this world that is very difficult to even understand from human, there's, there's, in fact, we talk about, we talk about very evil acts as being a crime against humanity. Or how could you do something that is so inhuman? 
We have that vocabulary already. And don't we see heinous acts perpetrated where people say, yeah, we may be sinners, we understand that, but there is just, there has to be something else behind this. There has to be something else motivating this. And then we don't need to go down the list, but historically or, um, or even in horrific events that happen today, you look at that and, peep, and there is just evidence that there is something diabolical afoot, that there is something motivating the actions of people at different times that, that, that are just inexplicable. There's no human motivation for people to do these things. Am I, am I, am I making sense here? I think that's a compelling, I'm not saying that that's a, we're, not, we're just saying, we're just trying to explain to people and as Christians make a defense for what we believe to say, but well, how do you explain all of this great evil in the world? So with that being said, there's a lot of interesting things that the Bible says about, we, we looked last time at the, at the holy realm of angels, and now we look at the fallen angels. Let's pray, ask Lord to help us for the rest of the time we have. Lord, we pray that our minds would be open, that we would learn, that we'd be hungry students of your word, and that we'd be able to take these truths. And Lord, our goal of learning is to both be better, is to better love you, and then to be better equipped to minister. So please help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I, I want to do this though. One big, one important thing to understand whenever you study what's called angelology, if you will, is that the word angel itself is problematic, okay? The word angel in, in the context of this study is a problematic word. Does anybody know why this is a difficult word for us to be using? What are the problems with defining all of this under quote-unquote angelology? What's the problem with the word angel? Does anyone know? Pre okay, so preconceived notions, absolutely. There's a problem with, our, with the language itself. So how do we use the word angel? We're using it as what? As a, as a blanket term, right? We are referring to all of these beings as angels. That's not really biblical, okay? Angel, what does the word angel mean? Does anyone know what the Greek word angel means? Anyone? What's that? It means messenger, right? The Greek word angel means messenger. Now there are certain, there are, the Bible only uses the word angels in certain instances. So in other words, all heavenly beings at times, or many heavenly beings at times, are fulfilling the function of an angel. When would they be fulfilling the function of an angel? Give me an example of, of a, a creature fulfilling the mission of an angel. Gabriel. What did Gabriel do? Brought a, yeah, brought a, brought a message, was a messenger to, uh, to Mary. Okay, so functions as the messenger. But there are certain heavenly beings that are never referred to as angels at all. The cherubim, the seraphim, we classify them as angels. So it's really important that angel is, and I'm not trying to, you know, recreate anything here. The point is this, though. Angel just specifically refers to a function of what sometimes heavenly beings do. But it's not a good way to think of the whole category. It's just what we've done in English for a long time. So with that groundwork, there is a whole classification 
of evil beings known as, well, often referred to as demons, but not exclusively. So in Matthew 25, let's look at this, look at this account. So Matthew 25, and look at verse number 31. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and ye came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? Or when saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So you've got the scene here, right? If you, this is, when is this all happening? This is all happening when? At the very end, at the very judgment, this is all taking place. So what is the scene? Who do we have? We have, it opens with who? Jesus. Who else? Us and the what? All of the holy angels. So there's this, this grand and glorious Gathering. It's kind of like what we've been studying in Revelation. And what's happening is it's the final judgment where the sheep are separated with the goats. So there's the Father, the Son, the Spirit, all the holy angels. And then there are the true believers. And he says, oh, you clothed me when I was hungry. You, 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 uh, you clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. You gave to me. You visited me when I was in prison. When did we do this? Well, you did it to the least. Of, come on in. Come and enjoy. And so the, the true believers spend eternity in the glory of God, in the presence of the angels, etc. But now, verse number 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no drink. Um, I was hungry, you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink, etc., 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 so the point is, at the final judgment, there is the all of the created beings, human and angelic, who are righteous, are in eternity with God. All of the unrighteous created beings, both human and angelic, are then in hell, which was created for the devil and his angels. So we see this. We see this. So now what happened? Where did... Where did this demonic host come from? Where did it happen? Well, you'll notice on your handout, there's a few references. One is Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. And this is most often believed to be description of the fall of Satan, the fall of Lucifer from heaven. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? Thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will, also, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 
I will be like the most high. How art thou, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the son of the morning? Now, one thing that's very interesting here is obviously this is a description of the devil who we know. What do we learn about what do we learn about the devil from Isaiah chapter 14? What do we learn? Looking at that scripture. Sorry? Okay, he desired to be like the most high. He desired to be like God. What else do we learn about him here? What else do we learn? idea of great beauty, brightness, and glory that he began. So I'll say that he began glory, right? He began with great glory. What else do we learn here? Yep, right first. Wasn't he, uh, wasn't he one of the most beautiful angels? Well, most likely based on this description. Yep. Kathy, what were you going to say? says that which which weakened the nations by being here that's created out of the past horror that's going on the evil. Right. So what does it seem what is the overall so that's important that he is weakening the nations. So what is we learn about the ultimate goal of this is really interesting. The ultimate goal of Lucifer of the devil is to do what here? He wants to take the worship, equality with God, and how is he going about doing it? Where is he working? On earth, among what? Among not just people, the nations. Among the nations. Now, if you think about all of history as revealed in Scripture and as we've experienced it, the devil works among the nations. Now, what is significant about that? What has God, what has, um, what did God do? First off, God in the, so God has always desired a people, right? A nation. He went with the nation of Israel. He's eventually going to take the nation of Israel, bring the church and Israel together and to create an eternal holy nation. But what has the work of the devil been to do? It's been to take all of the nations and to turn the nations against God. You see it in the, children, in the history of the children of Israel. It was the nations. Now, each nation, especially when you read in the Old Testament, each nation had their own what? Gods. Who do you think those were? Do you think they were just imagined? Do you think that those were, just, in some ways they were, but do you think they were entirely imagined imagined deities? Yep. Are you saying that the nations that worship strange gods of that the gods actually existed and did things? 100%. That's exactly what I'm saying. Is there biblical evidence for that? Yes. Who said yes? You did. So good and loud. What? So what is there? So there's evidence that at least some of these False gods were real 
well, we'll call them sub-deities, if that's okay, because they were at one point created by God, but Satan, Lucifer, his work was in deceiving the nations. So what is the biblical evidence? Because Frank said, are you saying that some, because sometimes, sometimes the Bible describes the, the dumb idol. Yeah, go ahead and pray to him. But other times, there is evidence that these forces they worshiped were real indeed. Go ahead. I would point to the prophecies in Isaiah and Ezekiel, and they're calling out against those nations and their specific gods that they have. Right. They'll be facing judgment. Right. So there's prophecies speaking about the, the prophecies of judgment on specific gods, okay? False gods. What else? There's other, there's a real simple one. That was a little, that was like, you know, junior, senior level. There's a, there's a freshman level example that some of the false gods were very real. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. What, go back, think about it. Yeah. What happened? Yeah? Some of, well, that was happening in Egypt. Some of the uh, musicians or, or some of the yeah, yeah, that's fine. They actually did things like uh, throwing a rod down and becomes a stake, and they did the same thing. Yeah, so so Aaron's rod goes down. What happens? It turns into a turns into a serpent or snake, and then the magicians of Egypt. What do they do? They say, "Watch this!" Boom! Rods go down, and what happens? Snakes come out. However. As a sign, and they had, listen, they had no doubt. Would you throw your rod down if you thought you could, <laughs> if you were just like, hey, why not? Here we go, would you do that? I mean, they were confident that if they threw these rods down, they had the, the power of evil magic to turn these rods into snakes. So they do it. But then, what, is the, what does the Lord do? Yeah, the snake of the most high God eats up all those little baby snakes. And that's it. More. Most, this one always got me, right? This one's the best. All right. Well, um, the river is going to turn into blood. And so what do the magicians do? They say, you know what we can do? We can make more blood. Now, that one always was like, that always kind of baffled me. Like, if you were... If you want, if you thought your God was worthy of worship, you would be like, how about you? Yeah, there you go. How about you get rid of the blood? But they're like, nope, you made blood. We can make more blood. You got frogs. We can make more frogs. We can do all of this. And then if you study it out, a lot of people have compared ancient, the ancient worship of Egypt with the 10 plagues. And many people believe that each plague was a specific judgment on different deities that were sub-deities that were worshipped by the people of Egypt. So it's not a, it is not far-fetched at all to understand as the devil's goal was to work among the nations, the false deities of the nations, I believe, often, not necessarily always, but often represented demonic beings who led those nations and were worshipped. So it kind of sets up an interesting framework to understand biblical history. And then, now think about this. I'm way off the notes here. So that's okay. I didn't write the notes anyway. So anyway, so then what do we see at the time of Jesus? 
We see all, have you ever noticed that in all of biblical history, in all of biblical history, there are more demons around the time of Christ than there have ever been, right? Like we don't see the, the, the type of demonic activity right now that, Jesus, that, was, that the disciples experienced at the time of Jesus. Why is that? Why could that be? Any thoughts? I think some of it is still going on. Because uh, you have people that are doing evil things. I, I'm not saying that it's not still going on, so don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that there's no demonic activity in the world today. But if you were to say, if you read your, if you read the gospel accounts, does that, does the, that kind of demonic activity, have any of you experienced that on the, to that level? I wouldn't, I would, I would be shocked if you had, because I mean, it's, it's like every town they went to and there's these demons calling out to Jesus. Any thoughts on what's going on here? If you think about this, the course of human history, the course of the gospel history. Yeah. The son of God is on the earth and the demons knew who he was. Do demons know everything? No, they only know what they know. They're limited in their knowledge and in their wisdom. But when Jesus is there, what do they do? There's several occurrences in the gospels where the demons say, we know who you are. We know who you are. Isn't that interesting? But did they know what he was going to do? They had no idea. How could they know? Because in fact, the cross, the cross of Jesus was hinted at in the Old Testament. But was it ever explicitly? Even Paul would talk about the gospel and what word would he use to describe the gospel? It was a mystery. Remember that? It's a mystery that was hid from ages past, but now revealed in Jesus. So Jesus comes on the stage all of the demonic forces who are the, the fallen demons, they all know who's here. They all know who he is. They all know that he has power, but they also know that their goal is to turn all of the nations against him. So what do they do? So what do they do? Huh? So they wage war. They wage war against the, And you see this. You see this played out in the book of Revelation where the, the woman gives birth. To, anyway, I'm, getting, I'm so way off right now. It's unbelievable. So you, you've got to take time to study this out because this is our last week on it. They, they wage war. They, they wage war on the son of God. Ultimately, they're moving in religious leaders. Jesus says to the religious, the religious leaders, you are of your father who? The devil. You're doing the works of the devil. You see all this demonic activity happening. Jesus goes to the cross, right? He goes to the cross and from every, if, if the, the demonic host have every reason to believe at the cross, what? They did it. They won. They literally have every reason to believe that they have conquered the son of God, that their plan is working because they don't know. We think of them as 
We give them, we give angels and demons too much credit. We think they know what God knows, but they only know what God has revealed to them. And God did not real, not even, the angels don't even know when Jesus is coming back right now, right? Think about all those scriptures that we know. This is kind of one of those put it all together kind of lessons. So you got to have it there to put together. But, but I'm, so there's one passage I want you to see. So the demons, they don't know that, that, that what has happened. Now, let me find this passage I got to show you now. So they think they've won. In fact, what is more evidence that they think that, that Satan thinks he can win? At the very beginning, what's that? Well, he's still fighting now. But, but at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, what happened? Go ahead, Kathy. When the devil was tempted him and talked to him all this. Yeah, he still, right. He says to Jesus, he, he doesn't understand why Jesus came. He says to Jesus, if you bow down, if you, hey, turn the stones into bread. Hey, why don't you bow, bow down to me? Hey, I'll give you this kingdom. You can have it all. Because he still thinks he's going to remain in control at that point. So right up to the cross, he does this. Now, there was a, a reference. I don't know if it's on here. I just thought of it now, and I want to share it with you. So give me a, give me a second to look it up. I think it's in Galatians. No, Colossians 2. Go to Colossians 2. Good old Google machine. Didn't let me down. You know how you know that? You know kind of what it says, but you don't remember the reference. Colossians chapter 2. If you study the Bible, you'll find that these themes of the battle between, between the demonic and the angelic are all throughout the scripture. Colossians 2, and look at verse number 14, or verse number 13. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. The quickening together with him. That means being made alive with him. What is that a reference to? What time? We are made alive with him. It's our salvation, but it links us back to what time in Christ's life? Being made alive together. What's that? Resurrection. Resurrection. So in his resurrection, he has made us alive. You're like, what in the world does this have to do with the angels or the forces or whatever? What else happened when Jesus died? The, the, the earth went dark. And what, what other miraculous thing happened? In the graves, dead people came back to life. You remember that from the resurrection, from the death of Jesus? So all this life and death battle is happening at the moment of the cross and at the moment of the resurrection. So you still haven't shown me, Ethan, what this has to do with the, the, the angelic beings. Ready? So when he did this in verse 14, he was blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. Took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's the law. He did away with the law. So this is all talking about what was accomplished at the cross and the, re and the resurrection. The law was done away with. Now, here comes the part that has to do with what we've been saying. Not only that, but verse 15, and having spoiled what? Principalities and powers. What are principalities and powers? Yeah, it's the demonic forces. When you see principalities and powers, 
It's referring to the demonic hierarchy. Remember our opening verse that the devil is deceiving the nations. Here you have these principalities and powers. It says in verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers. When did he do this? At the cross and at the resurrection. What does the word spoiled mean? He ruined them. He took them captive. He's the, the victor. It's, he, and to the victor belong the spoils. So this is the point. Cosmic warfare is coming to a head at the cross. All the demonic forces have been trying to stop Jesus. They think that they're winning at the cross. Jesus at the cross, not only does he do away with the law, does he complete the law, but he defeats the demonic powers. And then in the middle of the verse, in verse number 15, it says not only did he spoil principalities and powers, but he made a what? A show of them. What does that mean? What does that mean, that he made a show of them? Well, okay, he exposed them. He humiliated them. He just, I mean, I, he stuck it to them, as they would say. He just, I mean, he trounced over them. He proved, he gloated, if you will, over his victory and his triumph because the mystery was fulfilled. Not even the past angelic beings, demonic beings were aware of what was happening. They're trying to deceive the nations. And at that moment, Jesus comes and he makes a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And now because of this, you'd have to study Colossians, the whole point is, is Paul is saying, so because of this, don't go back into the law and don't fall into the trap of people who worship the spirit realm. That's his whole point. So that, that's the context. But the, the principle is here that Jesus triumphed over the forces of evil at the cross and at his resurrection. And so since then, they've had to change their battle tactics. They have a new strategy. They still think they can win, I, I believe. It also says, there's another ref, reference that's going to be in this handout somewhere, that says that Jesus, in those three days, he went and he preached to the spirits that were in prison. A lot of theories on that. But what do you based on this, you know what I thought? He, you know what I think he preached to them? I think he made the show of them openly and said, you've been here in prison. Let me tell you what just happened at the cross. Let me tell you what I have just accomplished. And that brings us to the day and age in which we live, where the Bible says that primarily the work of the de demonic realm is in the minds, bringing every thought into captivity. Right? And then we'll be opened up. The battle will be full on one day future in the book of Revelation that we've been studying on Wednesday nights. All of it. Yes, sir. Where, where uh, the Bible says it, that all of heaven triumphs over one sinner that is saved. It's almost another way God is floating over That's great. It's a, there's a triumph in heaven over one sinner because they see the the battle we got another one we because the angels they're just they're taking orders from the king he's told them where it's headed but they don't know what's going to happen always along the way and so yeah there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents that's a great that is a great reference to bring in all right so i kind of went all over 
this morning. And kind of, I just kind of wanted to give you that one thought that hopefully I made. Um, and there's so much more that you could study, but we just did it in two weeks. So you can read all the references on here and file this away somewhere. Chase rabbits. Sorry. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the time that we've had. We pray that you would uh, bless the rest of our service today and help us to sing for your glory and to just truly worship you. Help us to be attentive to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know. And we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.